T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. And welcome back to Overnight America in for the half hour here. I think this may help a lot of people listening because it's been a We've had a lot of issues in the United States and for the last couple of years, it was headlines there maybe two years ago before the pandemic about all of the opioid issues that we're having, things that are just flooding in and just taking over people's lives and really having families just trying to struggle to figure out what they're going to do next to help someone that they love. Joining us here is a family addictions expert, and he has a new book called Chronic Hope, Families and Addiction. Kevin Peterson, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Hey, Ryan, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I feel like this impacts so many different families. And for a while there, there was a lot of attention. And during the Trump administration there for a while, it was, what are we going to do to stop all these opioids that are taking over? I mean, so many people have become addicted in different ways. We talked about ways to even punish people that are pushing these things on the streets. And we learned about fentanyl and these things that became just household discussions of how we're going to handle it. And then next thing you know, we're not talking about it much anymore, but it still very much is a problem in the United States that I'm sure you're seeing. Oh, it's let me tell you something. This is a problem that that's just never going to go away. There was actually a, an article today in the New York Times saying that the opioid uh, overdoses are up. Last year was the highest year ever. It outpaced mm. every year we've had. And yeah, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. There's no question about it. And you're looking at this from a family standpoint. It could be someone in the immediate family or it could be someone that's just close to you. What is the right way to deal with a family member that may have an addiction problem? You know, that's a great question. And it's exactly what I talk about in the book, uh, Chronic Hope, Families and Addiction, because that's the phone call I get from everybody. The first phone call is, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife. What do I do? And I tried to outline a really straightforward plan that starts with setting boundaries with accountability and then rewards and consequences behind it. And just you want to approach them with a position of, look, I love you, but I'm no longer willing to participate in your suicide. And Mm. if you're going to choose to continue to use the drugs and the alcohol, that's your choice. But that means you're going to be choosing to put some distance between us. However, if you want help, I want you to know that I will do everything in my power to get you help. 
but until you want help, I'm going to keep you at a distance. Does that make sense? Yeah. When you get those phone calls of the people asking about their family members, their husband, their wife, their sons, their daughters, things like that, do you ever get phone calls from people saying they see it in themselves? Are they trying to help themselves? Or is that something that doesn't really happen? I do occasionally. I get the occasional person that does call and say, hey, I think I may have a problem. And then we sit down and we talk about what that means. And, you know, and, and, but my specialty is really the, working with the family. However, I mean, I want to be totally transparent with you, Ryan, is that I am in recovery and I, and I have been since 1991. Um, but that's because my dad sat me down and said, Kevin, you're my only son and I love you, but we're done. Mm-hmm. This is over. You know, yeah. and, wow. and, and until you get help, you can't be part of the family, you know, and yeah, because I was destroying the family. Do you see? Well, so what happens when you're the person that could recognize it in someone else? Maybe sometimes it's hidden for a while or maybe people are in denial because it is a loved one. But what are those things that people do that may inadvertently be feeding the addiction and doing the opposite of what they should be doing to try to stop the addiction? You know, another phenomenal question. Um, what the families do, we call it loving the addict to death. Um, they, they think that, you know, they really have this belief that tomorrow the addict is going to wake up and be like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Mm. I can't believe I've been destroying my life and destroying my family's lives. I must stop and I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to straighten up and fly right. And the problem is that just never happens. People get confronted, you know, families gather together and help someone. And, you know, that's what happens. That's how people get sober is that the people around them say, I love you. And this has to stop, you know, mm-hmm. or you're going to die. And, and I don't want you to die. You know, and when somebody confronts you in that position or says it to you like that, you, know, you have to listen, you know. Yeah. A Chronic Hope Families and Addiction is the name of your new book. And. Joining us here is author Kevin Peterson, and I'm curious because when you have a family member, I'm sure that it, there's got to be a lot of emotions that you feel, and mm. when it's someone that's very close to you, you're mad. You, you want to find something or someone to blame, and you, you, you have to look at it. Is there, is there something to blame here that, that you can point the finger at and say it's, it's that, it's, that's the fault? Oh, you know, that's a tough one because, you know, there's I mean, traditionally when you take a look at the percentages, about t- about 10 percent of the population uh, struggles with addiction. And, and, you know, there's a whole battle within the field of addiction of nature versus nurture. And is it something you're genetically born with? Is it something that you pick up? Um, and I don't I mean, I don't know the answer. I'll tell you my experience is that I grew up in a house of addiction. My mom was a prescription drug addict. Um, and, and I started drinking and using when I was about 13. Um, and I, I grew up in Palo Alto, California and, you know, and, and I had a nice home and a nice family and they're good people. And, but, and, and, you know, then I got sober when I was 27, cause again, my family said, Hey, this has got to end. Um, and then I went and got a master's in marriage and family therapy. But when I look back at the history of my family, I can trace back, the lineage, the generational addiction in every single generation on both sides of my family. So blaming, you know, is, is a tough call. And, and, and I understand why families get mad and I understand why they want to do that. Right. They want, they want to point at this, this friend, this girlfriend, this boyfriend, this job, this situation, 
And, and I try to sway them against that. I'm like, you know, here's the thing. Let's deal with what's going on. Your loved one has an addiction, and if, they, if we don't treat it, they're going to die. So let's not worry about where it came from right now. Let's worry about how do we fix it. And, and then once we get after it and get fix it and put the addiction in check, then we can dig into how we got here first. You know, I, I, I wonder, maybe we'll save this for after the break, but um, okay. I, maybe I'll ask you about this first. But are there any certain laws that you look at in the way that we handle addiction that need to change? Because in today's conversation, we talk about policing and they try to take people that may need help outside of the prison system. So they'll say, we're going to divert them to a clinic as opposed to a jail cell. So you look yeah. at the way sometimes the the laws are adapting and changing and understanding that these addictions may be better off treated in places other than a jail cell. What, what do you think are some of those laws that need to be looked at and changed? Well, you know... <laughs> Um, gosh, that's, that, that's a good question. That's a loaded question. Um, I think that if, if I, if I could, uh, be in charge of that stuff, or if I could go after that, I would say, I would love to be able to offer people that struggle with alcoholism and drug addiction. I would like to offer them treatment on some level. Now I understand that some people, like you said, outside of the prison system. So for nonviolent offenses, I would, I would love to see, someone be offered an opportunity to find a different way of life. Um, you know, there's a, there's a fairly uh, famous uh, situation going on in, um, in, in Richmond, Virginia. The sheriff there said, he, he said, you know, I'm tired of picking up the same kids over and over again. And then eventually I end up picking them up and taking them to the morgue. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we're, cha we're changing the rules. And he, he said, what we're going to do is we have this jail and, and we're going to offer it to all these kids that, that we know are struggling with addiction. And we're going to tell them, look, Dave, you are welcome to come here and stay here and help, we'll help you get sober and we'll help you go to school. We'll help you find a job. And, and he's like, you know, I'd rather spend my money and time and effort on that than burying children. You know, mm. so I would love to see more opportunities like that. And I also want to be clear with you. I, I don't think that addiction is an excuse to get out of accountability. OK, if you've done stuff that you need to be held accountable for, you need to be held accountable for it. You know, the sure. excuse that I was high or I was drunk. That's not an excuse, you know, yeah. um, and that's not that's not how I see life. And Very but good. I think it's critical, critical to to, you know, incorporate a new way of life that's drug free and alcohol free, but also is developed upon I, I'm going to treat people differently. I'm going to act differently. And I'm going to behave differently. It's, Great. Yeah. Okay. So after the break, I have a couple other questions for you, if you could hold on. But the new book is called Chronic Hope, Families and Addiction. And Kevin Peterson, our guest for this half hour, joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll continue with him right after the break. It's Overnight America KMOX. Trusted information, live and local. From the award-winning KMOX Newsroom. He is the author of the book Chronic Hope. Families and Addiction. He's a family addictions expert, Kevin Peterson. Thank you again for spending this half hour with us on KMOX. Hey, it's my pleasure. So I, I wonder, too, when it comes to a family member that is determining if they need to intervene or not, sometimes it's difficult because there could be in a range of addictions. And I think about things that sometimes as society, 
is looked at as acceptable, like alcohol and gambling. And maybe on the surface, the person looks like they're functioning properly. But in the background, you might not realize all of the destruction that's going on and the, the real harmful things that they're doing. And as a family member, you might not see it either. But you know that they do have a certain bit that they use. But on the surface of things, you think, oh, they got it under control. So what's the line of when you intervene? And, and uh, great question. And, and, you know, what I hear, hear so, you know, what I hear all the time is, well, you know, he's a functional alcoholic. And I'm like, OK, well, let's talk about that. What, what does that mean? And they're like, well, you know, he may get drunk every night, but he goes to work every day. I said, and I say, OK, well, how's his family life? Oh, he, his family life's horrible. His kids hate him and his wife won't talk to him. Oh, okay. Does he have any friends? No, they won't. They don't want to have anything to do with him either. And, you know, and it turns out he's really on the edge at work. So what we're looking for is someone that is, you know, A, they're putting their life in jeopardy. I mean, when we talk about hard drugs, it's, you know, if people are using heroin, meth, you know, cocaine, benzos, that's the really heavy duty stuff. My position is, there's no such thing as a social heroin user, okay? Um, and but when we talk about alcohol and marijuana, which have you know supposedly become, like you said, socially acceptable, I think we have to look at whether or not it's disrupting their life and disrupting the lives of the family around them or the people that they're interacting with. And mm-hmm. and getting that's why I like to work with the families because I get the family to turn around and look at it and say. You know, he's 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 not present. He's never here. He's not part of the family. He's there, but he's not there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I um I wonder too. Let's say you're a parent. And you notice that your child, who still lives with you, starts to pick up some certain things. Is it as easy as removing them from their friends, removing them from that environment that may be enabling them to do whatever it is, and that'll fix them? Or is there more that you need to do? No, I mean, I, I wish it was that easy, but, you know, it's just, it's not. It's, you know, there is more that needs to be done. You know, what you have to do is set a boundary with them that, hey, no drugs, no alcohol, and, and we're going to do drug testing and we're going to do breathalyzing. And if you, if you fail the test, then we're going to talk about intervention and treatment, you know, and because the truth of the matter is an alcoholic or an addict, they're going to find their people no matter where they are. You know, it doesn't it, it, remove his friends. He's going to find new friends. You know, if you move to a new town, trust me, he'll find those people in that town. It's uh, alcoholics and addicts are really good about adapting and finding what they need. Sometimes you find that it happens within a family that have these strong religious beliefs and their kids may be doing different things. Do you see the the faith aspect of it help them in their road to stop that addiction? Or do you find sometimes that that's not enough? Well, you know, on its own, just faith in itself, no, it's not enough. Um, But faith is a huge foundational building block, I believe, or spirituality. You know, I come from a 12-step lifestyle, and, you know, a big piece of the 12-step world is, is, is spirituality. And spirituality can mean anything. It doesn't have to mean a specific church, but but faith can be a huge piece of that. And mm-hmm. when I look at someone that's struggling, you know, I realize they're physically struggling because they're physically addicted, but they're also mentally obsessed with the situation. Like they're always trying to figure out why it's okay for me to get drunk or to get high. And they always give themselves a reason and a story. But the spiritual side of things, the faith side of things has to come into play because that's the power. That's the strength that's going to keep them from taking the first drink. And, and if we can rely on that spiritual aspect, 
to help them to stay away from drinking, then we can go after the mental aspect and really set a foundation for a lifestyle change. You know, um, I've heard people say that Alcoholics Anonymous, the AA, is just not effective, that people that enter the program, that, you know, a lot of them repeat. There's a very small percentage of them that actually stay away from it in the long term. So they criticize it. Then you hear other people say there's really nothing else out there. So even if it is 10 percent that are helped or whatever the number is, that it's absolutely worth it. So what are your thoughts about programs like that? Well, you know, I'm a huge fan of those programs, and I think that those programs actually work. Um, I I would tell you that I'm a testament to the fact that they work. Mm -hmm. Um, I got sober on May 5th, 1991, and I've been continuously sober ever since in the 12-step world. However, I also understand what people say and why they say it, you know. And the thing is, when when the 12-step, when AA was created in the 30s, when it was founded, it was the first thing that ever came forward and said, hey, we're not just going to separate the person from alcohol. We're also going to separate them from their way of life. And, and, and it's actually made a foundational shift in American society. And it's also made a foundational shift in how we treat addicts. Is it the mm-hmm. only solution? Absolutely not. There are plenty of other solutions. There's, you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there that a lot of great programs that don't use the 12 steps that are, you know, faith-based that are therapy-based that are, a lot of uh, recreational based. Um, there's a great program called the Phoenix, which is based out of Denver, Colorado, which is a, mm-hmm. you know, like a, like a sober gym for people that are sober and it's free and it's an amazing nonprofit. But uh, my position is whatever works, works. Let's mm-hmm. throw everything we can at it. But I'm not, I, I have a tough time when people talk bad about AA and the 12 step worlds, because, you know, my experience is they work and they work yeah. wonderfully. Well, if people wanted to find Chronic Hope, which is your book, or maybe look some things up that you're doing online, what's a good website or a place for them to go? Sure. Um, So my website is www.chronichope.us. My book, Chronic Hope, uh, Families and Addiction, is available on Amazon, Audible, and Kindle. Uh, My first book, Chronic Hope, Parenting the Addicted Child, is also available on those sources. I have a Facebook page, I have a Instagram page, I have a Twitter account, you know, nowadays mm-hmm. you got to be multilateral. <laughs> you you know, know, before you know it, I don't want to lessen any of the other very serious addictions, but, but you may be getting parents talking to you about digital addictions too, because it seems like there are a lot of their kids that just have a hard time putting things down anymore, and it really does take over their lives. Oh no, that's 100% valid. That is, let's just be clear, that is 100% valid. Um, you know, the screen addiction, the porn addiction, the gambling, oh. the shopping, mm-hmm. those all go after the same sort of, we, we, we call those, you know, um, oh my gosh, i completely forgot the name that we call the kind of addictions that they could process addictions as mm. opposed to drug and alcohol addictions. And they are thoroughly valid. And the good news is there's great treatment out there and great therapists out there available. And, and if a family has questions or wants to know anything, they can, they can email me. Um, they can go to the website. Um, they can go to the, we have an Apple podcast under Chronicope Institute. We have a YouTube channel under Chronicope and those things are free. And I, I, my, my mission is to deliver as much information to the public as humanly possible for free. Mm-hmm. I want people right. to understand, go here and I'll help. Good. All right. Uh, Family addictions expert and author of the book, Chronic Hope, Families and Addiction, Kevin Peterson. We're going to have to get you back on in the future. I thought this was a great informative, uh, informative half hour, and I'm sure there's a lot more we can talk about. So thank you for coming on tonight.
hey, it's my pleasure, and I would love to come back. Absolutely. We could even talk sports if you like. <laughs> <laughs> all right, a, we'll have to I'm save a that. crazy <laughs> sports fan. And, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we can go all night if you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then we – okay, it's settled. We'll bring you back on. I'll have to set up another time here in the near future. That's great. Uh, Kevin okay. Peterson here, uh, and he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America KMOX. It's Cardinals Baseball Friday night as they take on the Philadelphia Phillies. Emron pregame show 510. First pitch 605. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back. Joining us for this next half hour or so is the executive director of the Movement Ministries. And it's Hampton Conway III. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Hey, thanks for having me. I wanted to bring up the the topic in general, and I wanted to allow you to talk about what you are doing with Movement Ministries. And I, I was reading the the premise and the the idea of what goes on in today's society. What's what's hidden sometimes is uh, shown that it's you, you're not allowed to bring up certain things if it's contrary to what uh what other people are bringing up and we go through a me too movement where a lot of women come forward but then there's this other side of it where there are men too that have become victims and have been victimized but that type of abuse is minimized it's kind of like and eh, it's really not that big of a deal as we, we need to focus on the women and something like this which really isn't all that fair because what you're ultimately talking about are victims of crimes and some are being discouraged from coming forward Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, you said a lot. Um, but I think people would be surprised at the number of men uh, that are actually victims of abuse. And I'm talking about physical as well as mental, emotional, psychological. Yeah. You know what doesn't help, I think, is television and movies and things. It's basically if... if um it's it's a comedy if the man is the one that's abused, you know, and they make light of it and it's, you know, it's funny and all oh, they can't say anything. They can't do anything. You know, it's 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 brought up in a way that is comical, which probably hurts the cause because there are some very serious cases where I'm sure people are afraid to come forward because they feel like there's this stigma by doing that. Absolutely. And I think not only is it brought up in a way that's comical, I think it's also portrayed in a way that, you know, it's it's um you know, brushed off as, you know, because women are, women are emotional, right? Well, you know, and this is how women react, and this is what they do. And, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, a woman putting their hands on anyone, um, trying to harm someone, or even just, you know, trying to manipulate, um, and coerce, isolate, you know, all those things um, that are, you know, uh, actually abuse, you're right. It gets brushed over. Um, it's not taken as serious uh, when the men are victims because, you know, people look at men and say, oh, well, he's supposed to be stronger and a man's supposed to be this and a man's supposed to be that. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, there are men out here that are suffering and that are hurting uh, because they're in situations where they are, do feel, not just feel abused, but are abused uh, in different mm-hmm. ways. Yeah, there's this this double standard, I think, when a guy brings up an issue like this, one of the first reactions is, what did you do to deserve that? And if you were to flip the table around and say that to a a woman who came forward 
and ask them, what did you do to deserve that? I mean, that would not be acceptable. But why would it be acceptable to say that to a man that comes forward and says they haven't been treated right? Absolutely. And I think that actually contributes to why a lot of men don't come forward. (laughs) That reason and some of the other reasons you already stated, there are a lot of men that are suffering in this way that don't come forward because they do understand that it's not going to be seen uh, or taken seriously um, or seen as a serious issue. And so, you know, many men are struggling and and trying to deal with this and trying to navigate this uh, alone. Uh, without mm-hmm. support, without help, um, without really knowing what to do and, and how to rectify the situation. Yeah, and this is what you see sometimes in different advocacy groups and social media is always uh, not a, the right way to gauge how people feel, but they would look at this and say, okay, look at the guy is just trying to become the victim here. They're trying to take away the light from whatever, something else, but they don't really talk about some of the, I mean, there's some real serious issues that are out there that, that do need to be brought forward. So I'm curious about your movement ministries. Tell me about what you do with movement ministries and, and what you're working towards. Yeah, so let me just say, you know, I definitely do advocate for all victims and survivors of domestic violence, uh, but I, I, I do focus on uh, men primarily, one, because of my own experience as as a victim, now a survivor, uh, but also because I recognize and re- have come to realize that there are so many other men uh, out there. And, and as you said, you know, there's organizations um, women, you know, led and, and, uh, women focused organizations that are getting resources and getting support on the state level, county level, federal level. Um, but you don't see as much of that, hardly if any of that, uh, for other populations that are also, uh, being abused. And so, you know, movement ministries is trying to, you know, educate, advocate, you know, make people aware, you know, of, of what's really going out here for not just women, but men. Um, I think people would be surprised at the, the level of elder abuse. It's, it's mm-hmm. really awesome. Um Teen dating violence is is a huge issue, you know. Um, and so there's so many different groups that are still experiencing this but don't get as much attention. And so we're trying to bring atten- more attention to that. Um, and as far as men go, um, you know, I, I even started uh, – I, I partnered with some other organizations to start a um, – men's support group because, um, you know, my own experience, you know, when I finally separated from my ex-wife and I was looking for help, um, I was, um, I came back from Pennsylvania to the DC area and I could not find uh, a group where I could go and talk to people who had similar experience, you know, and it was crazy because I'm on these websites like meetup and all these different group sites and I could find meetups and, and, and support groups for everything under the sun, but could not find something for my situation. I couldn't find a group for battered men or men that had been, you know, uh, victims of domestic violence. And so I said, well, I guess I'm going to have to start one. Uh, mm. And so that was part of the motivation as well. Mm. You know, I wanted to ask about um, just going back a couple of years ago One, I, I thought this was a, a good step in the right direction. And you find this with a lot of young men on college campuses during the Trump administration and Betsy DeVos was the secretary of education. And she said that there should be due process for those that are accused on a college campus, because for the longest time it was if you were accused, you were instantly expelled without a trial and 
permanent record is done. And it, you could ruin someone's life, just an accusation that could end up being not true. And you would still lose everything that you worked for. So there was this idea that there should be due process when it comes to accusations on places like college campuses. And she was mocked and ridiculed for things like that because they said, OK, you know, this is, you're not believing the, the victims in a, in a case like this. So I'm curious what your thoughts are when it comes to due process. When someone is accused, how do you handle situations like that if there is maybe a, a, a man that is the one accused or maybe they're the ones that are the victim? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it, it again, the stereotypes and the stigma, you know, unfortunately, even make its way into, you know, our judicial system, our legal system, law enforcement. Um, and it is unfortunate because uh, it is not uncommon, you know, for, for one, for women to make up anybody to make up a story, make up a lie out of vengeance or for whatever reason. Um, and it's not uncommon for, um, you know, as people think for men to actually be the victim. So, you know, to all, uh, immediately, um, you know, give someone uh, a punishment uh, for something without due process um, is definitely a, a, a failure, you know, uh, of our system. You know, when those things happen, I remember, um, in one particular situation, when um, uh, I was in a situation in my home, my wife was attacking me, um, and I could not escape her. I could not escape the home. Uh, typically, I would restrain her just enough to get past her, jump in the car, and, and get away. Um, but in this particular situation, I couldn't get away. And so I called the police. Um, however, when the police showed up, they tried to arrest me. And I'm trying to explain to them, I'm like, hey, I'm the one who called, you know, mm -hmm. and I honestly think had she had any physical marks on her, they would have arrested me. I think that's the only thing that saved me is that even though she was trying to say I was the abuser when it was actually her, she did not have any physical marks. So they didn't arrest me, but they still made me leave the house, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just another example of how these things are approached. Um, I had a tough, tough time, man, dealing with things on the judicial level with judges, um, with police. Even Child Protective Services, you know, because um, my kids ended up uh, being abused as well. And I had a really, really hard time as the man, as the father, um, trying to get support from all the organizations that I was counting on to support me. Hmm. You know, I think there's so much into this. And maybe if we can, after the break, I wanted to ask you about some of the best ways to address this, because there's a lot of different approaches to it. And I'm sure I'm just going to set this up before we go to break, because I'm sure there's people that are listening to this interview right now and they're thinking to themselves, uh, I can't believe they're talking about this. Why are they doing this? This isn't a thing. This isn't real. You know, and, and people are so easy to to look at it and say what you're doing is you're diminishing women that have been victims because what you're doing is saying that the men could be victims, too. So there's this certain mindset that it's 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 I don't want to say impossible, but there's this certain mindset that it takes away from other people if you are the victim of a crime and you happen to be a male. So maybe we can talk about that after the break. But uh, before that, Hampton Conway, the third, you're the executive director of the movement ministries. If people wanted to look you up online, where can they go? Yeah, definitely come to our website, makemoves.org, M-A-K-E-M-O-V-E-S.org. And they can uh, definitely see what we're doing and get in contact with us through a form on that site. And even though we're based in Maryland in the DMV, um, we will get back to you. Uh, and, and if we don't have an answer or a resource, you know, we will point you to one. So you can reach out to us there. 
Great. And we'll continue with Hampton Conway, the third executive director of the Movement Ministries right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Hampton Conway III is the executive director of the Movement Ministries, and he joins us here for the next couple of minutes on Overnight America. And I I do want to thank you for the time tonight. And I know that there are people listening that would roll their eyes at a topic like this. They'd say, oh, yeah, you know, they, they, they might feel that people are trying to steal the victimhood. I don't even know if that's a term, but if there's a certain light that's being shined right now with the Me Too movement and these other things and women coming forward and any guy that would come forward and say, well, I've been the victim of this too. It could be domestic abuse or sexual abuse or whatever it is. They're just trying to steal it away from the women. And then people would say, of course, that's what they're doing. You know, there's not enough instances to make this into a thing. So what advice would you have for the people that think this is really something that shouldn't really be a topic? So that is a great point. And I run into this a lot um, as I, you know, try to partner and partner with certain organizations. And it's very eye open. Let me, I'm going to give you a quick story to answer your question. When I uh, started getting my own healing and uh, decided I wanted to be an advocate for victims of domestic violence, I went to a training. And in that training, um, there's a very popular model called the Duluth model. Uh, which is uh, talks about power and control, because that's what it is. It's about it's about the, the abuser trying to exert power and control over their victim. And it's this thing called the power and control wheel. And so in the power and control wheel, which is like one of the primary tools that's used to educate about domestic violence, um, it's broken up into different categories and it has descriptions. So here's here's some of the categories in the descriptions. OK, now, mind you, I'm sitting in this training as a, 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 a survivor myself. And this is what I'm being trained on. And so one of the categories is using intimidation. And this is legit. You know, that's one of the things abusers do, using intimidation. But the description says, making her afraid by using looks, actions, gestures, smashing things, destroying her property, abusing her pet, or using emotional abuse, putting her down, making her feel bad about herself, calling her names, okay, using isolation, controlling what she does, who she sees. So this will... There's all these categories and descriptions, and all the way around, all the language is exclusive. It only talks about victims from the woman's perspective. And so here I am, fresh out of my situation, trying to heal, trying to get better, trying to help other people, and the, and the main tool they're using to train and educate me is excluding me. Mm. So I'm not mm. anti-woman just because I'm pro-man. Right. Um, what I'm what I'm trying to get across to people is this is a human issue. This is a people issue. And unfortunately, there are actually organizations out there that don't want to talk about the fact that there are other victims, that there are other populations of victims because they want to hoard all the resources, i.e. money that's coming to their organizations as well. And what I'm saying is, hey, this is a this is a, a problem all across the board, regardless of your race gender, uh, even your orientation. It's a big issue in the LGBTQ community. And while people may not agree with the lifestyle, that doesn't mean that those folks uh, deserve to be abused either. So, you know, I'm trying to bring to light the fact that this is bigger than what it's been traditionally talked about. And And because I'm talking about other groups and other populations experiencing this doesn't mean I'm against 
any of the populations that are. Mm-hmm. I think that's well said. Now, the Movement Ministries, again, the website, if people wanted to look you up online. Makemoves.org. Makemoves.org. Okay. And Hampton Conway Third. I know you're on social media. You can go to the website and learn more about the organization, the Movement Ministries. Thank you for coming on. I, I, I'm glad that we had the time to do this tonight, and I'm glad that we were able to spend some time. And We're going to have to uh, follow up again in the future. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you taking time on your platform to have this conversation. Very good. I'm Hampton Conway III joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. We'll take a look at your news and your weather coming up right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 